All right. So today um, we are going to get to hear about the Wayne Reed Child Care Center. So we have a couple of guests who are going to be talking about that. Did you want to kick things off with the video? Oh, uh, yeah. Why don't you keep going while I pull that up? Oh, great. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so for those of you who are new uh, to the class, uh, we have been connecting everything to um, a documentary called Everything and Nothing and kind of tying that into, um, into ministry and into mission as well. Um, so um, Sandra, would you like to go ahead and talk to us a little bit about how, um, how the Wayne Reed Child Care Center came about mm -hmm. and, um, and your passion and your um, dedication to that ministry? Uh, in the mid-1990s, uh, Otter Creek paid off its building, and uh, the elders sat in front of the congregation and said, we want a, f a focused ministry. We don't want to send out to 20 little dabs to 20 different places. The church only had, what, 400 members? Something like that. <clears throat> and about the same time, um, the governor, Governor Sunquist, said, uh, we're going to try our first family's first program. We're going to try to get uh, single parents off welfare in 18 months. And we need private organizations to step up and provide child care for those parents to have so they go back to work. And at about the same time, uh, Wayne Reed had had so much trouble trying to play basketball. He was falling, he didn't know what was wrong, and then he, he began to think what might be wrong. And uh, he started coming to the tutoring program at YES. And uh, he came to the conclusion, at the same time we came to this conclusion, we're not getting these kids early enough, we're not accomplishing anything, coming one hour every Thursday night. Um, <clears throat> And at one, one day, uh, Gail Shrigley was down there taking Wayne's place because we had preschoolers who were getting on the bus, we didn't even know if their parents knew they were there, were getting on the bus and coming for tutoring and they didn't even go to school. Wayne said, I'll take them all. And he would go into a room on the side and eventually had to kind of sit on the floor so they wouldn't knock him over. And I have this vivid picture of him on his knees working a floor puzzle, puzzle with children all over him. <laughs> and one time he wasn't there, and uh, Gail said, I'll, I'll sub for you. And there were 24 little kids in this room. When she came out, she said, that's the group you could make the biggest difference with. Right there. That's the group. You're not going to have a lot of luck with these elementary kids, school kids, once, once a week, one hour. So... We just, Kim Haynes, who's no longer living, came, came to Bob Barnhill, who was the director then, and she said, every Christmas, parents come through the Christmas store and they say, we need childcare. We need childcare. Where is the childcare? <laughs> we keep promising childcare and we don't do it. So all those things happened at about the same time. And I call, I was talking to Wayne, or to Diana Reed on the phone, and I said, you know, I think probably what we need is a preschool. And she you didn't, if you didn't know Diana, you don't know what I'm talking about, but she came through the phone, that's what Wayne says all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so by that time we had a new preacher coming and the elders said, we, we went, Bob Barnhill and I went to the elders and said we need to, to consider duplicating what we have, replicating what we have for Otter Creek children down, downtown. 
And the elders said, well, come back when you have a plan. So, hmm? Oh. <laughs> that was God speaking. <laughs> he approves. <laughs> in, in, anyway, um, then when the new preacher came, they said, you know, we're going to set up task force. We want to need a task force to talk about what we're going to do about the inner city because we're paying for this and this and this and this and this, and we don't know if we're accomplishing anything. So Wayne and I went in and we said, we're going to have a preschool. <laughs> we're not going to do anything yet. We're going to have a preschool, and I'm going to talk them into it, <laughs> and Wayne's going to talk them into it, and we weren't going to listen to anybody else on the committee. And that was pretty much what happened. <laughs> And when we went to the church, we went like this. We want to do this. We want you to vote on it. And all but two people voted for it. And we said, we're going to need your help because we don't have enough money to do this. And immediately we got plumbers and carpenters and artists, <laughs> uh, school teachers and social workers, all of them coming up saying, I can, I can, I can, I can. And they all really got involved. And I learned to write grants. <laughs> um, and when we opened the doors uh, 19 years ago, September 17th or 18th, it was debt. We had paid it, paid for it. Wow. It's a brand new $750,000 building that Terry Bates designed, and it was free. Free. <laughs> Not free. It was ready to go. We didn't owe anybody anything. And we've been running now for 19 years. Uh, the first year, <clears throat> the city started a three-star program, a three-star, two-star, one-star, no-star program for preschools that they would, they would judge you by. And by the end of the first year, we were a three-star program and have been ever since. Uh, That's great. Thank you. There's a lot more I can say. <laughs> um, I've only written about it 10,000 times. So, no, that's great to hear about um, how it started and the passion and, and how um, people from all over the church dedicated their vocation to, uh, to helping yeah. uh, with this as well. Um, Chad, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, what all Wayne Reed Child Care Center looks like today, 19 years later? Uh, I don't know that I can compare it a lot to the years because <laughs> um, I, I wasn't around then. But, um, it, it's evolved, I, I would guess. It has. I, I would say it has in a lot of ways. Um, the, the families we serve today are a little more diverse um, than probably what the initial picture looked like. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's still right there in the heart of downtown, the heart of inner city. And I think that's one of the interesting things about where we are is just everything that's going on down there. Um, you know, I mean, it's such a vibrant, active community. And here we are, we're still right here on the outskirts of one of the <laughs> poorest areas in the state. It's got to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of need there, um, but it's, it's just unique. It's different. Um, I think, you know, it, it's, a lot, it's about a lot more than just the kids. Um, we've always tried to make it about the families and um, about just, you know, everybody that's involved in some capacity. I see it a lot from, from my vantage point. Um, I see us serving the teachers a lot, too, and yes. providing jobs and providing opportunities yes. for um, them to, to make a decent wage mm -hmm. that um, they go back to school yeah and yeah to help them do that and um, and help them build community I hear you know a lot of them talking about the, the friendships and the community that they have within each other um, so I think you know it's good for them too to, to have that and see that um, 
That's great. Thank you. Um, I know that one of the things that you have been passionate about, um, Sandy, lately is kind of cultivating new leadership and a younger generation who is passionate yes. about this. So, so um, tell us a little bit about that. And uh, well, I will be eighty December first. Don't believe and that. And I think the time has come for <laughs> someone to uh, take over some of the responsibilities. Not because I don't want them, but because when they sing that song. Are you calling me? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Don't sing that song. <laughs> but you know, while I feel as though I'm able to do whatever I'm doing, the time is coming when I'm not going to be able to do it and not be able to remember what to do. And I need you know to to let other people do it. We talked Wayne out of doing what he's been doing and gave his job to Chad, which he may not have wanted. <laughs> but we're trying to get younger people on the board, younger people like that, uh, on the board, uh, young, younger people who can be enthusiastic about it too. I, I'll speak to that. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I mean, this lady's obviously the backbone of this thing in so many ways, um, but Gail Strigley, Bill Lassiter, uh, Lucian and Tr Trisha Simpson, um, have all been very instrumental in making this thing what it is for the last 20 years. Um, and Bill is now 80. Yeah. Trisha and Lucian are in their 70s. Gail is in her 70s, yeah. although you wouldn't know it. But yeah. uh, Lucian Simpson no longer needs to be climbing on the roof to make repairs, yeah. <laughs> cutting down trees along the highway, which yeah. he does. Um, I don't think you can stop Gail's. She's just going to keep on going. But uh, Trisha has, is ill. And she has had major responsibilities. She's suffering with a form of cancer right now. And Bill is not well. So we, we need people moving in who are younger. And, and to show you the passion <coughs> that these guys have through all of this stuff that she just mentioned, the, the five of them are more involved than anybody today and, and have been this whole time. I mean, I don't think they've taken a day or <coughs> a year or anything off um, during this time period. So, I mean, it's obvious they're passionate about it. but. Um, I, I think there is uh, a little bit of concern of you know who's going to fill the void when when they just don't have the energy to do it anymore because um, that day is coming. So we do we need to recruit some younger people that are um, that are vested in it and can spend the time and, and put some real energy towards it. And we're we're finding that and we're filling some of yeah. those those gaps. But it takes time to get people that are really willing to jump in the way that these these guys have for so long. So. <coughs> Um, so I know that, that that area of town uh, where you guys have have um, been having the Wayne Reed Child Care Center is changing and there's a lot yeah. that's going on in that area. So uh, what are some of the challenges that are coming along with that and how are you guys um, helping to address those? It seems to me that the Department of Human Services has drastically limited some of its, I, I may be, I probably I'm not absolutely correct. They've limited the amount of daycare uh, certificate money that they give out to people. We'll have a, a, a child who is three uh, who is on a certificate, which means it pays half of his tuition. We have to raise the other half. Then we have the sibling who is one. You can't have a certificate. That was not true when we started. And the mother can't, I mean, it just encourages her to stay home because she can't pay for that child. 
and we we scholarship a lot of children. We pay, you help us pay for a lot of children, uh, funding for them. But that's so unfair, and I don't know how, uh, I don't know how voting <laughs> could change the way Department of Human Services works in that regard. But uh, child care support has has gone down <coughs> to some extent, and that makes it. I mean, why why would if you have to pay? what you get at a at your little nine to five job if you have to pay that for child care what's the point stay home because if you get a job they'll raise what you're paying for your rent in the even if you're in low income your rent goes up may go from forty two dollars to hundred and forty two dollars and just stay home and we that's what we don't want to encourage we want we think the children do better when the parents are excited about going to work and getting, maybe getting out of that zip code. Um, and we've had parents who got out of that zip code. And that, that's really what we want. We want to help them uh, because we think it helps the children as well. When they thrive, the children thrive. <clears throat> and I think, you know, we've always said that kind of our, our mission, that the kids that we want to reach out to are those that um, whose moms and dads are putting an effort towards, you know, improving themselves and either trying to find a job, trying to work, trying to go back to school. Um, and those are the kids that, that we want. And if, um, you know, as long as they're working towards that, you know, we'll do everything we can to help them, whether they can afford it or not. Um, but there's a problem with that, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. Big, he has discovered problem. a big problem yeah. with that. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I think, you know, a lot of the issues are just one is jobs and, and where those jobs are. You know, it's it's hard for a lot of uh, a lot of these people to find jobs that they can hold and that they can <coughs> still manage a family on and get transportation to and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then just the timing of it of you know if they if they work a eight to five nine to five job, you know, dropping the kids off early, picking the kids up late, getting back home, all this just the logistics are impossible nearly. Um, so you know, all, all these things are, are hard. And then the other thing I think that is becoming more of an issue that we're really starting to see is yes there is that that housing project right there where we're at but um the ability for parents to get in there is hard 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 mm -hmm. um and on top of that um it it feels like it's being tightened as far as just um there's just not as much of it and then outside of that right there in, in nashville there's no housing available for um low <laughs> income so you know we're seeing people move uh, they're We've got, we've got a family that comes from Clarksville yeah. uh, wow. to they, attend. They, they're um, poor. They're low income. They're on or below this poverty level, but they, have to, they drive in mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. all these suburbs where they finally were able to find something they could possibly afford on the little job they had. Yeah. And here we're at the daycare on their way to being a maid downtown host, uh, hotel or to work in the hospital or uh, work in some restaurant. Uh, Gail, Gail has adopted a woman <laughs> who, who is just so dear to her heart. Uh, she talks about her all the time. This woman walks from the middle of the uh, Napier area with her little girl to um, the daycare center over US 40 on that bridge, which I would not want to walk on. <laughs> She, it doesn't matter what the weather is, she walks. And uh, she told somebody she couldn't read. 
And so Gail has been teaching her to read when she comes on, on Mondays. And Shada has been a different person. In fact, one woman said she used to always walk in like this, and now she walks in like this. She's worked at the same car wash for 14 years. But to get there, you know, she had to walk to the center, drop her child off, go to the bus, and I think she has to change buses, go to work, then do the same backwards <laughs> and come home. Well, every now and then it rains and Gail takes her wherever she needs to go and there's no point in going to the car wash if it rains. So Gail will take her home to that dangerous neighborhood and Shada will say, well, Miss Gail, you just let me off right here. It's raining, Shada. It's okay, you just let me off right here. You're not safe going back in there. You know, there's something there that, that, that <coughs> just bothers me so much. And it, they, it happens to me. Uh, I, I, for a time, I went down and opened the gate. I was so mad at uh, a particular director who would not, not a uh, Wayne Reed director, who would not go and open the gate for the ladies in the morning. And we had a, every morning, someone goes and opens the gate at 6.30. Because we have parents waiting at 6.30 for their children to go into childcare. And uh, so I thought, I'm gonna just pour coals of fire upon his head. I'm gonna drive down there and open that gate every morning. And I did. And it was dark. And it was cold. And there was nobody around me. And I thought, Yolanda Doss does this every single morning, getting up at four, driving in in the dark to open that door and go into that daycare where we once found the clothes of the homeless man. Uh, and she goes in there, turns on the lights, and she's ready for the first child who comes. And I thought, they said to me, oh, Miss, Miss Sandy, you ought not to do that. They knew they did it. They knew they had to do it. They knew they had to go in that neighborhood. They were trying to be protective of us. To me, that, well, I'll cry if I talk about it too much. <laughs> Chad, here's a question for you. Um, you know, you, you got roped into this role a few years ago, I understand, <laughs> and uh, now you're on. That's about the way to put it. <laughs> yeah, you know, have, I, let me let me assume that you hadn't done a bunch of things like that or you hadn't worked with a center like that before. He's on the board. Yeah, you're on the board now. But he was then. Pr prior to yeah. prior to your involvement with Wayne Reed, maybe this was kind of, so. This was kind of a new experience. So in, in ways. In ways. Yeah. And so, tell me one thing or two that just really you weren't expecting. Just something that you learned. Something that about this culture that you're in, that you're working with, families that you're working with, that kind of slapped you in the face, that taught you something that you just didn't see coming. Any, any of those types of things? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, I grew up um, working, our youth group in, in church growing up was very involved in the inner city, and um, I was, I spent a lot of time with uh, kids doing, you know, VBSs and all those kind of things that, that youth groups put on for uh, for inner city kids, so I did a lot of that growing up, and I, I experienced a, a very good amount of just, you know, inner city life and, and what they saw, um, so it, it had always been a passion of mine, it's something that, uh, that I enjoyed, and I think... Um, through being at Otter Creek, we started coming to Otter Creek in 
2001, 2002, something like that when I was in college. Um, and I think just through, you know, we'd hear about the Wainwright Center all the time. They, everybody was talking about it and stuff going on there. And um, something I'd never really jumped into um, or got involved in, but I knew I always wanted to. And then I think uh, probably somewhere around, I don't know, 2007, 2008, somewhere in there, I had a, had a friend that kind of, he had been on the board serving as a treasurer for a while and he needed to transition out for a variety of reasons. And um, through, through kind of a bartering deal, he, he got me to uh, agree to kind of take his position and I, I was happy to do it because um, I, I knew I wanted to be involved in the center for a long time and just <clears throat> never taken the time to do it or, or whatever. So this was kind of the, the, the tug to make me do it. So, um, so it was good. But um, I, I feel like, I mean, I guess the thing that just kind of stands out to me the most is um, no matter how we think, um, you know, we, we think we understand how things work. We think we've got the right way of doing things and that we know what's best all the time and everything. Um, and then, and you know, we think we could just tell somebody, hey, do it like this, you know, that works. And, and you realize somebody else's circumstances or somebody else's just experiences are just totally opposite. And, um, and when you step back and look at it, you don't you realize it's not a right from wrong of they're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. It's just they're doing it different and it works for them. Um, I don't know that I can give some specific examples of that, but um, I, I think just the the important things in life um, are just viewed differently. I guess when you when you step back and you realize uh, the the situations that that people work through and. Um, so it sounds like you've been made to pause before oh, you yeah. make judgments about strangers oh, or yeah. slow down a little bit. Tell, yeah. Will you tell your Witz barbecue story? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I want to tell that, and I, I want to tell something else, too. To, to encourage people to be involved, someone who was working on the staff at that time said, we're going to take Jesus to those children, mm -hmm. to those families. And let me tell you, <laughs> Jesus was already down there, and all those people <laughs> knew it. And uh, there's more praying that goes on down there. There's more talk about God and about Jesus. And if you if you give them something minor, you do some little minor thing to help, it's thank you, Jesus. It's not thank you, Miss Sandy. It's thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a huge error if people thought we were taking God to the inner city because he was hard at work already. Uh, and they had more faith. I've learned more about faith from them. Um, my, <laughs> this is a sad story. I just feel, you know, I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable in African-American churches. I'm comfortable in all kinds of groups. I taught at North Carolina College when it was, uh, I guess, almost 100, not quite 100, 98% African-American uh, college. And I always felt that I, you know, I, I probably had some things I was trying to fight, some racism or something that I needed to overcome. I felt guilty about what we'd done. And I, out of guilt, you know, maybe I went, I don't know what it was. But I thought, three or four years ago, I thought, I'm there, I made it. <laughs> 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 and I had been down the center and we had laughed and talked about all kinds of things uh, with the teachers and the staff members. and. Um, I had, Jerry wasn't going to be home, so I had to pass Witt's Barbecue, and I thought, I'm going to get a Witt's Sandwich and take it home, even though it was only about 10.30 or 11. I went into the Witt's on uh, Knowlesville Road, and uh, I was the only one in there. 
and the clerk took my order and went back to the back. And while I was standing there, three, three men, I could see that three African-American men had come in the back door. And they were, instead of coming up to the counter where I was, they were standing back there uh, against the counter and they were talking to one. Oh no, we're going to be robbed. <laughs> it's, it's awful. What if, that was my first thought. I'm so ashamed, but it, that was. And finally, this fellow walked up to me and he said, I think I know you. And I said, you do? He said, I'm sure I know you. And I said, well, I taught at Lipscomb. I go to Otter Creek Church of Christ. I just came from the Wayne Reed Center. I used to tutor. At, That's it? You were my tutor at YES for years. We just cut a... We just cut a CD, the three of us. We want to buy your lunch. <laughs> I saw. All the way home, I kept thinking, where, how do you get, where did that get in there? How do I get that out? I don't want that in there. I don't want a hint. I don't want a drip of that in me. Uh, but this, you know, I was, somehow it did. And I, I was sad to see it. Always sad when that comes out. I guess the thing that's scary about that is, is <clears throat> we now live in a culture that's just living, seething with that, the preconceived ideas, and I don't know, I, I, I do feel like the church needs to speak into that some way, and I'm not sure exactly how. One of the things that amazes me about this uh, is... You know, when I think about the Word becoming flesh and living among us, here's an idea that actually came from nothing and turned into something, which fits into our theme. Uh, and there's the other side of that that I am so fascinated with, and that is, you know, the question of, is this a, uh, is this initiated by the Holy Spirit? Or is it a co-creation between God's followers and the Spirit as it works towards seeing something that needs to be changed and is willing to do it? Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to tell okay. you. Somewhere about uh, 2003-04, raising money had fallen on my head hard. It was my job to write the grants, you know, figure out ways to raise money. We were going to have golf tournaments, all these things, and I just overwhelmed by that. And I kept saying, what have I gotten this church into? What have I gotten this church into? They keep having to give us money, give us money. I'm calling on money all the time. What have I gotten this church into? And then <laughs> it dawned on me, but it, it's coming. People are giving. God is moving these people. I'm not moving these people. God is moving these people. We have volunteers who've been coming every year since the thing opened. Ann Goat has been there every single week since, since it opened. Miss Ann, in fact, I walked into class, someone said, Miss Ann? And it was because I'd gotten my hair cut like hers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she'd been coming all those years. I, it, God has moved all these people. God has moved people to join the board. God has moved people to go down and teach Spanish every week to three, two classes. 
We've had two Spanish teachers. Eve Jackson is absolutely devoted. She said, I, I can do the, I can do a newsletter. I'll let me just do the newsletter. And I was thinking, how I'm not doing them anymore. What, what can I do? I'll do it. Let me do it. So it dawned on me. God was doing this, not me. <laughs> I guess uh, one thing that's always fascinated to me is the fact that as a community of believers and followers of Jesus, disciples, there's the other part of that, which I would call the call to social imagination. In other words, we, and I mean, we're, what, 1,500 members, and we all have all of these skills and talents and blessings that God's given us how do we turn that incredible dynamic into something and imagining a future that is not here? Okay. And I think, <coughs> I, I know Wayne Reed Center is really facing some, some major changes that are gonna happen just in the in near future. And uh, what, what kinds of things do you think I mean, you know, you've got this situation in which the people that are there are being driven out and they're going all over the yeah. place. What's your vision for Wayne Reed in the future? What, what is it that we as a congregation can, can participate in that would maybe rethink this? I don't know if we've thought that far, but when I went to ask the Josie Davis Foundation if they would give us money, if if in the next year or so we, were, we had to move because there was a chance that we would have to move to another location. And what we were thinking was we would move down into the neighborhood that we serve because we're cut away from them by, by highway. And uh, you can't even see us from their neighborhood. So we would move down in there, get bigger, take in more. And the woman that Josie Davis said, do not assume the poor are all down in the inner city. They're, they've gone out, all the, they've gone out. Nolensville Road, they've gone out uh, Antioch, to Antioch. They've gone up north, they've gone uh, to Bordeaux. They're, they're everywhere. Do not assume that you can only work there. And I thought, oh, she should be our speaker <laughs> at the dinner. <laughs> she was eloquent talking about that. And, and that had never crossed my mind. But I would, I would think, uh, it, it would be incredible, and, and I think all these people would rise up out of the woodwork. Just don't tell them how much money you have. Just say, and we're going to need a lot of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so is the, maybe the potential answer for that, maybe smaller centers Something, dispersed yeah. throughout the city rather than one big one? Or? Yeah, might be. It could be. I mean, there's, there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, I, think, I don't know if you talked to Pat this week. She just went to a kind of a planning meeting down there in the community this week to where they were just saying, there's such a need, we got such a need, we got such a need, can you come build in here and double your size, hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and we, we struggle with that because we don't see that necessarily. At least, I, I say that, yes, we know there's a need for the kids, but we don't know that there's a desire from the parents, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's hard, um, it's hard to justify it. If we change our mission, that means we change our, our funding structure, we change um, a little bit of the way we operate too, so, um, there's, there's kind of a lot that we're at the mercy of the government on, you know, of what they decide to do in that area. Um, they've, they've got big plans for it, and they say that they're going to do nothing to drive these people out, um, but that's to be determined, you know. Um, but, I mean, I think for the short term, 
um, we are committed to that community. We are committed to those people, and, and we want to be there as long as they're there. Um, we know that, but yeah, the, the longer-term answer could be that if that community is smaller, then maybe we do have a smaller center there and we're able to branch out. Um, yeah, and you know, to Sandy's point a minute ago about God leading all these people and, and what you were talking about, um, you know, just financially and, and support-wise from volunteers and, and people that participate in the center in some way, we are as strong as any nonprofit I've ever seen. Um, so we, we are very blessed in that way. We were told that by the fellow who ran the Center for Nonprofit Management. He yeah. said, I've checked nonprofits all over the state, and you're in the strongest financial position. And the guy at Memorial Foundation said, you don't know what kind of admiration I have for the Wayne Reed Center? Because uh, centers like yours are dying for lack of support. They're having to close. They're having to become for-profit centers mm -hmm. and move out and take in middle-class people and upper-class people because uh, p groups like yours are disappearing. And that was, that was news to me. But what, what he says, I'm sold on the Wayne Reed Center. Why do you think that is? Because they did rely heavily on government subsidies <laughs> that no longer are there or are available. Yeah. Maybe available for your first kid. What, what about that other one? Or your twin? We had twins. One could have it and the other one couldn't. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it sounds like we have to work very hard on this idea of social imagination so yes. that we don't lose that, yeah. that, that sense of calling as mm -hmm. disciples of Jesus. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The little video, I think it shows uh, some of the volunteer work that um, <clears throat> that has gone on at the Wayne Reed Center. People debate the origin of the African proverb, it takes a village to rear a child, but no one doubts the truth of it. It has indeed taken a village, a very large village, to create and sustain the Wayne Reed Center these past 15 years. When Otter Creek was approached on a Sunday morning with the idea of building a high-quality preschool in the inner city, all but two families voted in favor of it, and everyone began offering creative ways to help. Foundations like the Zoe Family Foundation and others stepped up. The Parks Family, the Frist Foundation, the Memorial Foundation, and MDHA. Later supporters have included the Turner Family Foundation, the Community Foundation, the Maddox Foundation, the Predators, the United Way, and the Dorothy Frist Foundation. Businesses like Lexus, Beeman, Purity, and Hayes Advisory participated in golf tournaments as major sponsors. Silent auction participants and additional whole sponsors are too numerous to name. Early fundraisers at Otter Creek included a cookbook with scores of cooks participating. Sales of Joy in the Morning, a book by Ruth Rucker. Christmas tree sales, jewelry sales, garage sales, 5K races, and years of golf tournaments at the Legends, all done by volunteers in the village. Loving teachers and staff members have been central to the support of the children, along with parents and grandparents. Parents know that they can go back to school or off to work, confident that their children are in a safe, loving environment where good things happen. Teachers hug and encourage the children. It's the one that opens Provide the interesting and exciting activities, such as painting and playing with worms, reading good books, and covering the walls with seasonal art and words that identify sinks, doors, and many other surfaces. They work with whole groups and with individuals, promoting literacy in every possible way. Parents are prayed for and with given counseling and offered special training in job searches, interviewing, and resume writing. 
Originally, volunteers and other groups came with a wire pending to design and oversee the construction of the facility, put up a flagpole, paint murals, and do landscaping. Now they come to read aloud, talk with the children, provide handmade blankets and care bears, help with the craft activities the teachers and they have provided, manage the database, and send out the thank you letters to all the donors. A volunteer does speech assessments and therapy with every child the teacher refers to her. She talks with parents and makes additional referrals. Children with solvable hearing problems have been identified and those problems have been corrected to the delight of family members and especially the children. Children get to see and touch farm animals, which even parents have never seen before, such as pot-bellied pigs and snakes, miniature horses, goats, cows and calves, a day-old foal and lambs. The zoo and Walden's Puddle bring zoo animals and rescue animals such as possums, owls, and an albino python. The public library does puppet shows about well-known children's stories, and one family has provided live drama with songs from Dr. Seuss books. Other volunteers eat lunch with children on a regular basis, play with children, bring science projects, and teach lessons about worms, seeds, leaves, and gardens. Regular Friday volunteers sing and play musical instruments. Other volunteers do many rhyming songs as well, just as the teachers also play such songs on CDs as children dance and play their own instruments. A volunteer tells Bible stories that expand their vocabularies with significant people and Middle Eastern places, like Israel, Jordan, and Damascus. Special guests like policemen and firemen come with vehicles and the tools of their trade. Policemen recently used the parking lot to do safety checks on car seats. They replaced 36 car seats with new, safer seats and watched parents install the seats to make sure they were doing it correctly. A crowd of parents came recently to hear a detective talk about domestic violence, which accounts for half the calls the policemen must respond to. Doctors perform mock checkups to reassure children about what to expect in a doctor's office. Sometimes they even discover problems and convey those to the teachers. Volunteers have provided quarterly birthday parties on Saturdays for children and their families. They serve meals at family events, grill and serve hot dogs for the wellness clinic, and serve 120 family members at the annual Thanksgiving dinner. Volunteers host Saturday prayer breakfast to spend time talking with the fathers of our children. Over the years, two women have made sure the older classes learn Spanish every single week. Volunteers orchestrate and decorate the fundraisers like this dinner. Our youngest village members sometimes ask their birthday party friends to bring books to the Wayne Reed children as did a little girl who recently turned three. A board member ran a 50-mile race on Lookout Mountain, raising $6,000 for the center. A team of men recently talked to the children about building houses, taught them how to use the tools, and built a dollhouse. There are many other things we have failed to name or have pictures of. We don't have pictures of board meetings and board members and others climbing on the roof in search of leaks. We have no pictures of the generous businessmen and women who have offered seminars for parents in job interviewing, <clears throat> resume writing, and learning how to dress for an interview. Otter Creek Church, foundations, businesses, teachers and staff members, volunteers and donors have worked together to produce and sustain this high quality three-star center where children are being prepared for success in public school and their parents are being helped to find better jobs and better housing. Reading our impressive list of more than a thousand names of supporters would take a long time. All of you who will volunteer time, money, talent, expertise, 
energy and prayers are appreciated more than we can ever say. Together in this very large village, we are bringing hope to our families, experiencing the blessing of serving others, and moving toward the beloved community at the center of Martin Luther King's dream and ours. We have maybe like one or two minutes left. Did anybody else have any questions for um, Chad and Sandra? If you want to go to the, this year's dinner, <laughs> it's uh, Thursday, November uh, 16th, and all you have to do is let Gail Shrigley know. If you want to host the dinner, if you want to just come, uh, let her know. Great, thank you. Unfortunately, some of the people in that video are no longer living. Hmm. It's hard to watch. <laughs> About how long ago was that? Uh, Thirteen. That was the thirteen. Yeah, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Hmm. Not that long ago then. Yeah. 